Clean energy under COVID, its effect on power demand and the true value of flexibility. All this and much more in the latest episode of the Solar Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Solar Media Podcast. I'm Liam Stoker and joining me live from Japan is Andy Colthorpe. How are you, Andy? I'm okay, thank you very much. Good as can be in these, uh, I say, uncertain times, I guess. How's Definitely. Things are- um, well, I'm currently recording um, from my living room, so the audio quality is probably not as as it, as it usually could be, I guess. But um, I say we've been in lockdown now for for the best part of three weeks. Um, it's fair to say things have changed quite considerably in uh, not too long kind of time frame. So it's it's taken some adjusting, but I think people are, I think we're, we're definitely getting our, um, starting to get our heads around everything and just staying indoors as best we can. Fair enough, isn't it? And yeah, let's hope it doesn't need to continue for too much longer. Although there's obviously news about the Prime Minister not been too well over there at the yeah. moment. And yeah, again, yeah, exactly. Let's, let's hope that, uh, yeah, let's hope he can make a speedy recovery as well, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I guess we can extend that to, to everyone, all of our listeners, all the industries and pretty much everyone. Just um, stay safe, stay healthy um, and um, stay indoors, really. Okay, okay, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, uh, yes, reiterate that as, as strongly as we can, really. Obviously, health is the, the main thing. Uh, but that said, you know, uh, let's hope that maybe a little bit of discussion about clean energy, what's going on in the industry can be both useful to people dealing with the situation and, and maybe just give give us all something else to think about for a, for a few minutes, I suppose. Definitely, definitely. Um, but uh, speaking of this kind of the, the clean energy sector that we work in and, and how it's dealing with um, the, the, the COVID-19 um, outbreak, um, I think best place for us to start with, Andy, is, is just to give a bit of a a bit of a shout out and, and, and a bit of rec- uh, a bit of this um, highlighting the role that key workers are playing, key any key workers in the clean energy sector are playing um, while all of this is going on. Because obviously, um, not everyone's able to uh, to stay indoors, work from home. We do have people out in the sector working um, out in the field, um, whether that's uh, kind of grid operators and people responsible for um, maintaining. Um, whether it's soda farms, battery storage sites, wind farms, whatever, um, what, you name it, people are out there maintaining it. Yeah, of course. And, you know, again, you know, we are part of the clean energy sector, but that is to say part of the traditional sector, obviously, as well, you know, the utilities and stuff. Um, I think a lot of the American utilities in particular have been pretty good about, you know, giving people that can't afford to pay their bills a bit of a leeway. And then you've also got grid operators and stuff um, out there working tirelessly and in some places we've heard uh, not everywhere obviously but actually people are sleeping at work so as in order to not have to go home you know in fact potentially catch something and then come back in uh, to work right so sure. definitely shout out to that forgotten frontline I guess um, and there's also there's a lot of companies making donations and, and things like that and I don't think it's well, let's not name companies because it shouldn't really be a PR exercise, right? Sure, sure. Uh, but there's a lot of companies not just making equipment and making masks and things like that, 
Um, you can read about some of that on our sites, obviously, um, yeah. but also actually helping to make some of the temporary hospitals that are springing up. And um, yeah, the Excel Centre in, in London is one that we both know pretty well from exhibitions and stuff that we've been to within the industry, but it's a very different place right now, having been converted into one of the Nightingale field hospitals, right? Sure, and it's, it's, it's the same for the NEC, which um, in Birmingham, which, which we all know very well, having taken up residency there for a week for the best part of five years um, with our solar storage live exhibition. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's really commendable to see the speed at which some companies in the space have pitched in. Um, you can you can like Andy says, you can read all about those on on the sites. But um, it's 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 been great to see, and it is it's not just um, equipment; it's uh, financial donations, whether that's to health workers or dealing with the consequences of um, of the pandemic, um, critical equipment elsewhere, um, even c- companies like managing to if retool manufacturing lines like we've seen um, with but with um, Tesla's Buffalo plant. Um, and perhaps one, one of the one of the better stories that I have certainly seen, and I know that this picture of interest as well, Andy, is um, Bloom Energy in, um, mm. in in California. If you could just uh, give yeah. us a bit of an indication as, as to what happened there. Well, it's a fuel cell and smart grid company, right? And um, there were a few hundred. I mean, I haven't really seen the ins and outs of this. I've just seen it from a couple of clean energy pros uh, via my Twitter feed. I think Danny Kennedy was uh, retweeting this one. Um, but Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and we'll get on to California in full in a bit. Um, but they were sent some ventilators from the central stockpile that apparently were, uh, for whatever reason, they'd not been used for a while or, you know, haven't been activated or, to be honest, I don't really know exactly. I, I can figure out what they do, but I don't know exactly how they work, right? So <laughs> this isn't this isn't clean energy and ventilator chat, but the point was <laughs> that essentially uh, Governor Newsom put out a request for, you know, someone to, to fix up these ventilators. And within hours, um, apparently Bloom Energy had been able to, to respond and get those ventilators up and running. So, yeah, it's the kind of, you know, people have said to me so many times before that you kind of need a lot of optimism to work in the solar and and energy storage industries. And I think it's at this time that, you know, while our climate change agenda is understandably not at the top of everyone's minds, it just shows there's a lot of expertise within these industries and just, you know, willingness to to do the right thing, I think, really, I guess. Sure, sure. And I think um, one certainly from our view, having I mean, obviously we're perhaps best known for PV Tech and and Energy Storage News, but looking at uh, what we cover on on more of our sites and more of our kind of output, it's not just the clean energy actual deployment set um, that which is being affected by this. We're seeing uh, quite a few stories now emerge um, from across the world about the impacts that the pandemic is having on power demand and and how that's kind of having this almost snowball effect because when you look at i mean we've highlighted india um italy has been quite a um profound example of this um and and we start to see some things in the uk as well whereas obviously we're having quite an impact on um huge amounts of industry and manufacturing turned down as a result of the pandemic that's having a, a snowball effect onto power demand which is which is sliding um you, we saw uh, just last week, uh, when the kind of lockdown and isolation measures really started to take hold in the UK, power demand fell by roughly two gigawatts, which which doesn't sound like uh, an awful lot in the grand scheme of things. But when you're thinking about 
standard power demand and what people are forecasting for it is quite a significant shortfall to to have to make up and that's led to issues of curtailment and um some pretty pretty stark um pricing trends as well i mean there was people basically getting paid to charge their evs at that particular time weren't there i think there's a couple of anecdotal things i saw yeah so um we, we speaking of Perhaps the most recent um, recent example of this was uh, over the previous weekend. So when you look at um, Sunday the six, Sunday the fifth of April, um, the throughout the twenty four hour period, the average power price in the UK was two pounds per megawatt hour. So that is just a, a ridiculous price. Um, negative pricing was in play for for huge amounts of that. Um, to give a little bit of context to that yes it was your kind of standard weekend so there wouldn't have been a um a surge in um the usual manufacturing output anyway so demand would have fallen over the weekend but we had a um seasonably bright spring day with a fair amount of wind as well um and it actually resulted in um renewables generating i think it was 69 percent of of power demand during the afternoon and uh, well mid-afternoon around around 3 30 which is a new record for the UK. Um, but it kind of shows this kind of ongoing um, ramp up of the role that renewables are playing. Um, and it adds, it's, it, it was a, a, a bright story um, to, to kind of highlight at the time. But we, we, we could see more instances of this happening if worldwide kind of manufacturing and CNI power demand continues to fall as the, as the pandemic take hold, takes hold and it'll be interesting to see what the take of whether it's um, asset managers or, or power traders uti- even utilities are, are having quite a difficult time kind of getting their heads around this and, and really understanding the full consequences of it yeah because i mean if you think things like for example you know building an energy storage into the network or modeling the no- network with energy storage you can build in a fair bit of redundancy you know for these kinds of events but then it's very hard to tell, you know, I mean, obviously this is unforeseen circumstances, so it's quite hard to put a value on that. I mean, if I could just uh, briefly give you an example on India that I've literally just seen uh, this afternoon. So it was also on the 5th of April, same day that you're talking about, was I believe when India started kicking its lockdown measures. Right, yes. So, yeah. I mean, it's not a competition here, but we say two gigawatts. It was at around 31 gigawatts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you go. Yeah. So um, from uh, Netra Wallawalka, who is the uh, director for uh, India Markets at Customized Energy Solutions, um, it's just basically a bit of a LinkedIn post uh, from her that I've seen shared uh, via the India Energy Storage Alliance. So at 9 p.m. on 5th of April, um, for nine minutes, the load dropped by 31 gigawatts or, or thereabouts. Um, and, you know, the Basically, hydro and gas assets were used to uh, provide that are used to provide flexibility were backed down by 30 percent. Gas are backed down by 75 percent. Now, the incredible thing is that actually um, India and the uh, power, uh, I can't remember what they're called, POSACO, uh, the power supply of in, uh, corporation, basically sure. balancing the grid. They are really experienced at managing you know, various kinds of, of grid events. Um, so there's, there's a, you know, it's a real feat of engineering that they did. Um, but also, uh, Netra Walker notes that wind was curtailed to more than 50% across India, 
and okay. frequency yeah frequency also deviated um which she notes that could have been avoided using energy storage assets and she goes on to say that grid offer operators definitely agree the need uh, the need of grid level energy storage systems uh, for that kind of unscheduled ramping of energy um particularly with you know india's renewable energy targets um to to carry on really um, i think this is this this stems in from what we've already seen in europe um as kind of renewables has um proliferated and, and we've seen kind of the role that storage can play obviously um in the uk last august we we had a big frequency event which energy storage was critical in kind of bringing the system back online um as kind of i mean obviously that wasn't down to the renewables proliferation that was down to a, a kind of uh, a kind of once in a lifetime sequence of events with lightning strikes and another and other issues but um the certainly the curtailment of, of renewables around that time played a, a starker role in it as the loss of load profile helped bring um distributed generation to household solar um off the grid um but storage obviously played a critical role in bringing that up so it, it's it's interesting to see these lessons being picked up in other markets now that are, uh, that are kind of going down their own uh, renewable journey, if you will. Yeah, definitely. I think maybe uh, in the program notes for this podcast, you can uh, post a little link to your article that was a very comprehensive and well-written article, Liam. <laughs> Thank but, you. Thank yeah, you. It's no worries that you could do. And I've, you know, I've been looking into other other bits and pieces like that. Apparently, in January, there was transmission towers in Australia were literally flattened by a freak storm. So and Victoria states, yeah, no, no, genuinely seeing the pictures of it flattened. Um, so, yeah, we look into hearing more about that as well. So, yeah, as these frequency events, uh, yeah, I mean, they can't be, there's actually a bit more on that later on when we talk about virtual power plants in part two, I guess. There will be indeed. I think um, if we can kind of steer this back towards kind of, Whilst, whilst keeping very much on, on the energy storage agenda, um, mm-hmm. how is or how have you seen the as the kind of uh, solar media energy storage aficionado, um, how have you seen this, uh, how have you seen the, the COVID outbreak affecting the energy storage sectors across the globe? Well, I mean, it's, it's quite, so, okay, so let's just have a quick look at the, so there's been a couple of surveys in. I think these are probably the bigger, um, you know, macro ways that we can look at this at the moment. So sure. um, I'm getting in some responses and people can read those over the coming uh, few days. So I've asked a few of the developers that contributed to some of our recent articles um, for their sort of inside track on this. Um, but certainly the Energy Storage Association in the US has already seen some quite uh, quoted as immediate and potentially devastating um, impacts on the energy storage business um, in the US. So, yeah, almost uh, almost two thirds of respondents um, to this survey said they're already experiencing delays in project development. So, 62% of those respondents. Right. Uh, an actual two thirds of them, uh, 66% expect to see delays incurred soon. Um, Of those, 44% experienced short-term impacts, which is around a month's worth of delays. And then more than a third of them, 37%, 
anticipate six months or more of delays in project deployment. So that's that's pretty significant, you know, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. In terms of, I mean, I think state by state, as always, is going to be really different. Um, so, I mean, New York had just really kicked off its energy storage sector with some really significant large-scale projects over the last few months. Um, and it remains to be seen how much of that work can still sort of continue. Um, albeit, I think there was a piece I wrote for PV Tech yesterday in that New York has been one of the earliest governments, regional or national, to respond to this crisis with, uh, you know, renewable energy stimulus as a keystone of the right. sort of right. policy. So they're speeding up sort of permitting and decision-making processes for large-scale renewables, uh, which I guess will include um, energy storage, well, renewables and clean energy projects. So that's 20 megawatt plus projects, basically, um, in New York. But yeah, certainly, and, you know, we've heard Obviously, a lot of the energy storage industry supply chain is dependent on China. So around February, March time, I think we might have discussed some of this in the previous podcast. Um, but, you know, for example, I spoke with Powin Energy. Uh, Danny Liu, who's executive VP at Powin, uh, told me that, you know, there was weeks of delays compounded by more weeks of delays as various parts of China kind of shut down. Sure. Um, and then obviously we are starting to see... China start to come back to something approaching normality. Um, but at the same time, we've just had a report in from the China Energy Storage Alliance. So that's uh, uh, not so much a trade, trade association for China, but more a sort of loose affiliation of companies sort of working together to advance the market. Right. So, you know, very brief clean energy and trade association history lesson for our readers here. Uh, you've had this in, in other countries as well that, you know, you've got a trade association, which is essentially companies that often compete with one another, um, but have collective goals. And then you have uh, trade alliances uh, or industry alliance groups that are kind of in those more pre-commercial market countries. So, yeah, so that is to say that though it's exporting huge amounts of batteries for electric vehicles and, and rapidly for stationary energy storage, within China, the commercial case for battery energy storage uh, perhaps isn't as strong as it already is in the US. Um, and so that means that, uh, you know, the on the one hand, that's actually kind of a good thing because it means that the market apparently hasn't slowed down as much as one that is subject to the vagaries of commercial winds. Uh, but at the same time, it's um, taken a fairly big hit over the first half of this year right. into projects happening in within China. So these are kind of, what I'm trying to say is that basically kind of government mandated projects and so on might not be subject to the same sort of financial pressures but they are subject to even more so to administrative slowdowns. Right. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's meant for smaller and medium sized businesses. So, you know, the likes of the really big companies that supply batteries abroad to EV, EV makers in, in America and Europe and so on are probably doing OK. Um, but you have smaller sort of small to medium system integrator companies, operations and maintenance companies. Um, that basically will see the majority of their revenues coming from energy storage. Those are the companies that are kind of suffering 
And yeah. as we reported on the site this week on Energy Storage News, uh, nearly 80% of respondents to the China Energy Storage Alliance survey uh, face some worries over reduced operating income and tightening of liquidity. So it's, yeah, so I mean, Wang Xi, who is the research analyst from uh, the China Energy Storage Alliance who went through this said, so to kind of sum up a bit more eloquently what I was trying to say quite clumsily earlier on, in general, because the energy storage industry is still in an early stage of rapid development, the epidemic is likely to have a limited impact on the overall market development for the year. Um, so that is to say that most respondents believe that energy storage can still achieve predicted growth rate for 2020 um, and that new opportunities for energy storage will emerge after the outbreak is contained. Um, at the same time, uh, things like uh, those project developments and crucially cost reduction right. have taken something of a hit um, in the, I guess, in the medium, short to medium term. You could say. Yeah. I think I think we've we've seen that um, elsewhere as well. I mean, just taking the UK market, we've had Gore Street Capital, which is one of the key investors in in kind of utility scale battery storage sites. Um, they have all but suspended work on their portfolio now. Um, they they they're forecasting that it won't so much see a, a, a huge impact on their project timeline. So they're they're still looking to complete assets um, in to their kind of preset um, investment criteria. So looking at uh, completing a few sites in Q3 this year and Q1 next year. But having said that, work has ground to a halt as lockdown has, as these lockdown measures have been enacted. And um, it's something that we're seeing across the board, really, like you say, um, it's happening in China, it's happening in in, in Europe and uh, it's happening in the US as well. So it's um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, um, how, how long, the effects are felt and um, if, if the situation kind of um, uh, progresses any further. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are some parts of the world where work is still continuing, I think. Of course, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. and so I mean, one interesting one is in uh, California where we've seen that, um, you know, anything, and there's a lot of other places as well where energy related work has been ruled as an essential service. Sure. Yeah, particularly maintenance of, of you know, existing systems. Mm. Uh, but I've just seen over the last few days that uh, while originally this was taken to mean that installation work could still continue in much of California, uh, albeit with social distancing measures applied, um, that has actually changed in a few of the counties in California. So if you're in that part of the world, obviously, you know, basically double check before you go out <laughs> and make sure that you're actually allowed to. So I think, you know, a lot of the trade groups have put together some quite useful uh, resources for members and non-members alike, um, where they can check up on what the specific policies are in their regions. Um, I mean, what interesting thing is that from a vendor point of view, I've heard from a lot of people in California and the wider US that actually interest in solar plus storage has never been greater. And Australia, this is particularly the case. Um, so there's a webinar. It's all, the, it's, it's, it's all of these doomsday preppers, mate. They, they can't get enough of it. Un, uninterrupt, uninterruptible power supplies. That's, that's all they're after. Well, this is it, isn't it? You know, I mean, on the one hand, maybe this this does kind of 
drive home to people that, that you know the climate emergency is also a real emergency yeah. uh, but it's also kind of somewhere safe to put money if you're one of the few lucky people left that's got the money to spend on these things um and we're also starting to see that some of the stimulus packages as mentioned um for new york will support large-scale solar and i've just written something about australia various parts of australia actually helping communities and uh, residents individual residents as well as community battery um, purchases uh you know as part of the economic stimulus to keep keep things going really you know and maybe actually yeah. reduce a bit of that grid dependency that we talked about earlier on as well yeah and, and just to go back these economic stimulus packages which are emerging obviously um we had in the u.s um the kind of really significant event uh, attempts to um introduce a um, exemption for the well, uh, reintroduction of the full um, investment tax credit um, as part of that stimulus package, um, which was ultimately unsuccessful, but does prove that this is still um, a political point, which which isn't going to go away, which is still high on the agenda. Um, but looking at, at the European um, energy market, there are huge, huge uh, calls for, um, and this isn't to say that the pandemic creates or has created opportunities, but it is bringing to the fore caused that the the current way that the economy is, is shaped or, or has allowed to be shaped um, isn't conducive to a, um, a a net zero agenda, and we can really start to if if the economic if um, global economy is going to take this big hit as is kind of being realised, then it creates a window for um, there to be something of a reset and, and bring in greener policies, greener initiatives and, and really stimulate um, parts of the economy which could deliver significant growth and the, the kind of growth which is going to be required. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just to say that, yeah, clearly, you know, the the, the main priority has to be on keeping people alive, you know, clearly. Sure. Obviously. Um, and I think it would be, yeah, like you say, you can't really just see it as an opportunity in, in any way, really, because it's money is tight now as well, you know. So, yeah. but but at the same time, you know, uh, keeping people alive from air pollution, keeping people alive and 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 you know livelihoods from uh, safe from flooding and things like that, um, and just the other, you know, horribly deleterious uh, impacts of climate change. Um, yeah, I mean that is all an aspect of keeping keeping everyone safe and healthy mm. as well. And and also actually just very briefly on that ITC point as well. Yeah, I should have mentioned in the that the solar groups in the US are actually lob and storage groups, sorry, are also lobbying for the existing ITCs to be paid a bit more directly so that people don't right. have to go through various hoops of uh, I'm not entirely sure how, how it's put together, but basically the hoops of, of trading that have to take place in order for people to get their ITCs um, as a financial benefit, um, you know, sort of asking for those to be paid a bit more directly. Um, but yeah, just on, on the wider point, really, I guess, yeah, I mean, it, we're looking at, you know, I mean, Japan just announced a um, economic recovery package here um that is going to more than double what was paid out in 2008 wow 
Yeah, a significant increase then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's quite, you know, it's like something like $989 billion, American dollars, you know. Um, And other governments are going to have to do stuff like this. And yeah, Mm. in the UK, I see that the National Health Service, a lot of its debt's been written off, which is, should never have existed in the first place, but that is... No, exactly. But it's it's yeah. it's good to see, and and it poses the question. And I think this is really brought out this kind of if there is this huge question in in the UK about how how you fund the NHS, um, and perhaps this can allow these discussions to evolve a little bit more beyond the general point of taxation and and, and whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. Excellent. Well, Andy, I think that poses now time for a quick break. Okie dokie. Aside from its podcast, Soda Media is perhaps best known for its industry-leading trade titles, such as PV Tech, Energy Storage News and Current. Subscribe to our daily newsletters today to receive industry insights and analysis straight to your inbox. And welcome back to part two of this episode of the Soda Media podcast. Um, moving on from, from part one's discussion, we're going to continue talking about some of the impacts um, of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, hopefully moving on to some discussion around uh, other topics, though. Um, I guess um, one thing we are seeing, um, just to build on from, from before the break, uh, we are seeing impacts across the board, um, particularly in deployment. Like Andy says, there's... there's areas of the world where construction has been orbit ground to a halt but um also it's happening um, a bit earlier down the chain i guess with um, news of uh, tenders um, being delayed um kind of across the board perhaps portugal's um kind of solar big hopes for the portuguese solar plus storage t- uh, tender which was due to start well due to have started already but has now been um pushed back um into later this year and, and they're expecting more um more activity next year as well. So clearly, um, it's it, the impact won't just be immediate. It, it will be felt further down the line as well, Andy. Quick question before we go on this. Yeah. Portuguese, do you pronounce the J or do you not pronounce the Js? Because this Ooh, could be uh, my reading of this story for our readers, and I don't want to so sound even more... The only reason I know this is because it is Jose Mourinho, not Jose Mourinho. I thought as much. And um, our esteemed colleague is Jose, not Jose. Rojo Martin, not Jose. Yeah, yeah. If if if, if, if you want if you want if you want it that way, it's Jose Mourinho and Jose Rojo Martin. Okay, we should leave this bit in. I think we should leave. Show, show how the sausage is made at solar media. <laughs> yeah. All right, of, yeah. Breaking the third wall and all that. Breaking the third wall, exactly. Yeah, so there's a 700 megawatt auction for grid capacity um, in Portugal in uh, two regions being Alentejo. Oh, oh, no, I stuffed up the pronunciation. Read the website for further details. <laughs> 700 meg- megawatts. One of them's in the Algarve, which I know because people go on holiday there from the UK. Uh, and the other one is in a region spelled A-L-E-N-T-E-J-O. Now, several batches uh, totaling 700 megawatts. Um, power plants can be between 10 megawatts and 100 megawatts capacity. Right. Um, and they can include energy storage. Um, basically, it's a 
pretty quite cleverly designed tender, I think, from what I've heard, initial reactions from people in the industry. Um, sure. So far as energy storage can be included, uh, doesn't have to be included, but you could also have concentrated solar power and thermal storage. Uh, although at today's prices, it's perhaps a little unlikely that significant amounts of that will be able to compete. Uh, no one bidder can compete for more than 50% of the total capacity for auction. Now, the point is that the this 700 megawatts has been designed to go in at quite strategic points in both the distribution and transmission grid, uh, depending on what the need is. So I think we're really moving away from the early solar build out days where it was just, and I mean, it still happens in a lot of countries, but basically just build solar where, where you can and where it can and fit. And then because there isn't that much solar on the grid yet, we'll worry about how to integrate large amounts of solar later on. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so basically the interesting thing here is that, you know, the questions then asked, so what are the opportunities for batteries to, to get remuneration? Um, they will be able to operate in some wholesale market uh, trading. Um, they will uh, be able to obviously sell their power at a fixed price the same way that solar power plants will be able to. Right. Uh, but also the... Uh, capacity payments that they will get will actually be capped. Um, so if there's price spikes in the shared uh, MIBEL, M-I-B-E-L energy market uh, that is, you know, but that runs in the Iberian Peninsula of Spain and Portugal, um, basically asset operators don't get any extra money. They, they kind of take the extra money that they earn and kind of pay that back uh, towards the public purse, um, sure. essentially. Um, so, yeah, so, and then they have to obviously meet their availability um, requirements. Uh, if they don't, they kind of incur penalty payments. And the energy storage has to be at least a minimum 20% of the total capacity of the injection points of the grid of the solar plant. So you can't just be basically using the co-location with solar as an excuse to build a money-making energy storage asset. Um, so right. it gives provisions for energy storage operators to make money, but it also means that you can't, uh, not necessarily gain the system, but you can't really you know, exploit what is there um, exactly. in the system. So um, Joao Galamba, who right. is Energy State Secretary in Portugal, uh, spoke to Jose Rojo Martin, our intrepid reporter, about it. <laughs> sigh. Did you sigh then at my friend? No, you, I, I did not at all. I said, I, you did a good job. Right, okay. Well, I've ruined it. <laughs> anyway, so he said that, um, that basically the government is keen to create conditions for competitive storage projects to win, uh, but the government is not ensuring that they will win. They will beat the other two options. So that would be solar and combinations of, of solar and storage, uh, concentrated solar and so on. Whether or not that happens will depend on the dynamics of the uh, auction itself. So, yeah, I mean, Portugal is targeting carbon neutrality by 2050. Um, it's uh, basically trying to make renewable energies competitive with existing sources uh, or existing mainstream sources by 2030 uh, as an interim goal. And, yeah, Portugal has in place a national energy climate plan. Uh, which are all in line with uh, European Union member state obligations. Um, so, yeah, uh, Jao Galamba said that um, there will be an auction taking place. 
Uh, it doesn't make sense to hold it while obviously the kind of well, the world's in a bit of a mess. Um, but as soon as we sense, uh, he says, as soon as we sense the market is ready to participate in a fully fledged auction, we will launch it. And I think, you know, credit has to go to the Portuguese government for actually being able to put out those documents just before the end of March uh, as well, so that people like us can read them. We can put them before analysts. And yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll have a bit of a discussion of that in the forthcoming issue of PB Tech Power, uh, which sure. should be out, uh, in the beginning to middle of May, I believe, thereabouts. For be- yeah, yeah. I think I think we're aiming beginning of May. Um, obviously, we're announced with a big fanfare, but um, yeah, there, there's going to be quite an extensive look at, at some of these, some of these markets, some of these tenders. So yeah. So eyes peeled towards towards that, really, I guess. And then yeah, elsewhere in the world, uh, PV Tech's just reported on uh, tenders in Greece that have managed to complete uh, with very low prices. Um, also in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, sure. So yeah, uh, some tariffs proposed below the two US dollar per cent kilowatt hour threshold. But I mean, how does this all feed into what you've seen in terms of the upstream in solar, Liam? Because I gather there's been some quite big news there as well. So I think it's one thing that's really interesting to pick out, and obviously this is um, emblematic of, of the progress which is which solar has made. Um, it rarely a tender goes by without talk of record low prices now that's just to be expected really um you have this continued maturation of 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 this technology um prices continue to decline so the tenders continue to drop in price that that's that's to be expected but um our colleague mark osborne who pays um very very close attention to um, the upstream sector in 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 solar um will have noted or well, he's um continues to kind of track the, the the progress of this and um recently he's reported that um in terms of manufacturing capacity so this goes all the way from the the ingot and the wafer um production to module uh or um cell production module assembly the whole the the, the entire kind of manufacturing downstream sector is um, more than 500 gigawatts um, of total commitments have been made um, in Q1 alone this year. So 500 gigawatts of manufacturing capacity has been added across the chain in Q1 um, this year, or, or at least the commitments have been made. Now, what's significant about that is that obviously this is, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a huge, huge number anyway. Um, almost, un- well, it is entirely unprecedented. It's a record amount of manufacturing capacity to be added or to the commitments to be made in, in one year. Um, this is happening in three months. So, so like in, th- in three months... 250 nuclear power plants worth, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is a, an absolute um, game changer for the sector that so much capacity could be committed to in three months of the year. And um, to put that figure into some perspective, in the entirety of 2019, when Soda was kind of riding the crest of a wave, I think it was 290-ish gigawatts. Was well, 290 gigawatts worth of commitments was made. So almost double was committed to in Q1 alone this year. So obviously, this is an unprecedented amount. What we would expect to see then is that this you have this enormous amount of capacity coming down the line. Now, obviously, this won't all be finished this year. A lot of these, a lot of these factories are, are in phased um, 
development, it, it takes a significant amount of time to get this kind of um, these these the capacity uh, factories of this scale up and running. But what we are already starting to see is this um, kind of ramp up of manufacturing capacity to meet demand. What could be really interesting is now you are seeing, as a result of the um, pandemic, um, tenders being, if not shuttered, then delayed. Developments being, if not delayed, then entirely cancelled. Um, and demand does seem to be declining, albeit on a, on a short-term and temporary measure. Now, um, our head of market research, Vinny Culver, was quite candid about this um, last week on our um, UK site, Solar Power Portal. Um, he, he tracks the UK market like no one else knows exactly what's, what, what, what's going on. Um, he was expecting around 1.5 gigawatts to be deployed in the UK alone this year as, as you did these subsidy-free models have emerged and, and business was due to take place. Um, but that's all but shuttered now because of, um, you, well, in the UK, the lockdown measures are quite strict. No one's going to be out developing. Um, and as, as long as the pandemic goes on and, and the, the impacts will be kind of far-reaching in terms of the calendar, um, it's unlikely that much is going to get um, committed to. What you are also seeing is this combining with the effect of various tenders that have been pushed into early next year. You could see um, as the decline in demand happens, the price of these modules will inevitably collapse. Now, there will come a point when the pandemic starts to ease and deployment starts to happen again, and the demand will quickly jump up. What is interesting from Finley's point of view is that um, as has happened previously in, in the solar sector, and this is kind of he can be can point to numerous collapses in demand and instances of overcapacity, um, which has happened previously. As the prices have dropped, never before have they recovered to that previous price. So this, um, again, and we're not remotely pointing this as a benefit or or an opportunity or anything like that. It's an instance that, as as the prices do come. Um, down, it's highly unlikely that they will jump back up to their historic high, uh, their kind of historic highs. So, the impact of this on module pricing and therefore project capex will be really, really interesting to track and monitor towards the end of this year and early next, because that will have a huge amount or a huge importance on both tender prices, um, power prices in general. It has to be said. Um, we're already starting to see that throughout across the board, really. Um, but ultimately, the role that solar um, and, and really other kind of clean energy sources can play in in um, power markets, whether that's in Europe or, or the Americas or, or indeed everywhere else, really. I mean, OK, so I'm, I'm certainly no fossil fuel industry economist, but I guess with the near collapse in oil prices um, that's kind of been going on this I mean, you reckon that's kind of a competitive plus for solar then, or? I think I think it has to be seen as um, uh, uh, how swift the market has changed. Um, yes. Obviously, yeah, you mentioned this this oil price uh, kind of war that, that that's ongoing, and then the how that's evolving or emerging. Um, it's no surprise to have seen Shell. Uh, tighten their purse strings earlier. Uh, well, in in late March, um, Chief Exec Ben Van Burden announced a string of measures. They were um, drastically reducing their 
um, capital investment. Um, you've seen other companies um, really tighten the purse strings as they look to see. So Centrica, who perhaps best known for in the UK for owning and, and operating British gas and losing hundreds of millions of pounds um, through that venture, uh, but also have an awful lot of um, upstream power and energy uh, exploration generation. Um, they've, they've scrapped their dividend for this year. Um, it's clearly going to have a huge amount of um, or a, a, a huge amount of kind of long uh, long ranging effects on this. Um, but it does certainly seem to be that just as the time, just at the time where there's a lot of conflict and, and a lot of um, consideration about the future role of certain energy sources, solar and certainly upstream solar just seems to be going gung ho for almost for the neck of these of other power sources and saying, right, well, we can deploy at scale, at, at speed, um, and, and we'll do so at reduced cost, which is why you're seeing kind of uh, well, 500 gigawatts of of um, new manufacturing capacity commitments in such a short amount of time. Right, and I guess we're going to have to see interest scale up in you know kind of integration technologies and you know obviously energy storage uh, being one of them. Um, yeah, I mean I guess that's going to have to be a really big part of the future energy system as well. I guess. Yeah, I mean, you've seen, um, particularly across Europe, that there's been a huge, a huge amount of interest in in these kind of enabling technologies like um, storage and, and and everything that comes alongside that. And there is this kind of, I mean, we've talked about that, we've spoken about this before on on the podcast, and we've written countless words on this. There is this emerging role of, um, or this emerging notion that for decades even, the, the the power market has been built or the energy market in total really has been built around capacity or your generation capacity so the value is on how much power you can produce which is pretty simple kind of commodity-based economics really if you've got x amount of a commodity that's worth x amount you will get paid that um you were now starting to see a, switch, a, a shift towards um the value shifting from capacity to flexibility so not just generating power but how flexibly can you either generate or store or um, basically shift your demand or, or consumption up or down so there is that huge emergence now that flexibility is key and, and that's where the value lies i mean i'm hearing a lot that you know uh i think it's fair to say from a european perspective the uk has made a few kind of questionable decisions over the last few years um, sure not pointing to anything in particular, but you know. <laughs> um, Certainly couldn't mention things like the capacity market or yeah, uh, de-rating so, batteries, yeah. Well, I was going to mention actually, I meant in terms of Brexit actually in the bigger. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk yeah. about sh yeah, shifting your economy entirely overnight, then yeah, sure. But on the other hand, I think the UK flexibility market is actually one that I've heard from people looking at Europe um, as being really quite quite progressive and, and forward thinking, I think, you know, so I spoke a little while ago to Corentin uh, Bachet, uh, who is with Clean Horizon, uh, which right. is a France-based um, analysis firm that actually look a lot at Europe um, and also in tandem with that, the European Association for Storage of Energy, EASE, um, along with uh, analysis firm Delta EE, 
um, put out their latest um, European market monitor for energy storage. Sure. Uh, so in, insofar as Wood McKenzie does the US monitor and is very well known for that, uh, Delta EE and Ease put out this European market monitor. Um, and actually, there was a, quite a slowdown in energy storage in Europe in 2019. So 2018 saw 1.4 gigawatt hours and 2019 you saw one gigawatt hour. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit early to call this year, obviously. But I think um, as we heard of the Energy Storage Summit, um, for example, the actually batteries have been a bit, bit of a victim of their own success in the frequency regulation market in Europe. So yeah. frequency regulation market now spans six different countries and prices have gone down by nearly two thirds uh, within those markets uh, from what I understand. Uh, simply partly because batteries are doing such a good job and also because the market is starting to get saturated. And that's something you've seen in the US in the you know US's interstate PJM market previously. Um, so I think actually, and you know, talking with a lot of people in Japan as well, um, the British uh, power system flexibility market uh, is one that people are really looking at. And in terms of energy storage as an enabler of the energy transition, uh, energy storage is an enabler of flexibility, along with a lot of other things, you know, clearly like demand response and intelligent, you know, automated uh, devices um, and things like that. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's been a really interesting one, looking at the the UK's uh, power system and how that kind of kind of does things, and and really kind of hoping that various other goals will be incorporated into European legislation uh, to enable it to deliver value. Yeah, I think one of the big things that the UK, certainly battery storage developers from, from what I've spoken to is, um, we had a very interesting chat um, that was held at the um, Energy Storage Summit towards the tail end of February, where um, basically, and I, I know we spoke about this in the last episode, but there being this kind of complete reset in terms of the revenue stream. Um, and if if you were involved in battery storage before the middle of 2019, then you won't recognize what it looks like today because the, the revenue stack that has just completely changed. Um, on the pre-2019, if you weren't, if you didn't have a, uh, obviously the enhanced frequency response market was uh, a huge boom for battery storage. Um, then you had the capacity market, um, which was quite significant or uh, seems to be a significant source of income. Now you have to be active in so many different markets because, as as you say, the prices have dropped in some of them that you have to be able to um, be in numerous markets and and tailor your offering and and have this kind of aggregated portfolio to to deliver on uh, quite a few different services at, um, over the course of of any given period and be able to identify. Um, which markets you obviously have to be or have to be um, kind of open to. So obviously, if you sign up to some some markets in particular, then you are um, kind of duty bound to to be um, able to be drawn on. But being able to pick apart what what is the what is your best kind of strategic move from a uh, from a revenue perspective and and have that continually um, that continual foresight over over the market, I guess. Yeah, totally. And um, there's been a really interesting interview, actually, that um, our UK deputy editor, Molly Lomprier, uh, wrote for the our website Current, actually, with 
Um, Aaron Lally, who is one of the energy traders um, at uh, Kiwi Power, the aggregator. And it's basically in that there's some kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, as you mentioned, kind of frequency response is the main revenue stream um, for batteries in the UK. Um, But they're also running a lot of test cases on energy trading sides. Um, So, yeah, they've got really uh, just basically different ways of configuring the energy markets. And that is something that's been seen in a lot of the US as well with time of use um, pricing for electricity. Yeah, Uh, that is increasingly going to happen as more renewables come on stream or it should happen. Um, and elsewhere in the US, like say Massachusetts, have just introduced what's called the Clean Peak Standard, where a certain percentage of all utility electricity has to be delivered from clean sources during the peak time. Um, and so these are all just, yeah, just really interesting ways of, of valuing um, batteries and building up that kind of that kind of value, um, you know, across basically across the board. And um, do you see the little report that I did? Uh, the other day on virtual power plants from Australia. Um, I did, I did. The uh, some really interesting kind of revenue figures picked out from that, from from what we're seeing in um, in that trial, though. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there was uh, you know one event saw uh, a wholesale market hit a price cap, and that is actually fourteen thousand seven hundred dollars Australian dollars per megawatt hour uh, for eighty five minutes. Um, and you had uh, frequency events, basically. So basically, South Australia and other parts of Australia are trialing virtual power plants. So this is aggregated, customer-sited energy storage systems. Now, it helps in Australia um, that people are buying batteries for their homes anyway, for backup in case of emergencies. Sure. Um, so these will be fairly large systems compared to what you have for self-consumption elsewhere in the world. And then at the same time, uh, people are also buying batteries because the solar feed-in tariff is disappearing. And it's actually cheaper for them to generate electricity at home using solar and use it rather than buy it from the grid. So there's a big customer pull towards these batteries in the first place. And then if people are thinking about doing that anyway, why not incentivize them to cleverly link up their batteries um, and for the, for the good of the land? As, as it were, you know, for the, benefit, <laughs> for the benefit of the network. So there was one megawatt to two megawatt, two megawatts of aggregated customer systems participating in a six-month trial for the Australian energy market operator. Um, and yeah, I mean, let's let's kind of quick fire this because I think we're running out of time for today's pod. Um, but yeah, this kind of virtual power plant and another one recently that Zonen have done in Germany basically showing really clever ways that people can not only monetize quite quickly, uh, but also help integrate uh, renewable energy onto the grid and, you know, really basically win the argument against uh, dirty fossil fuel plants. Uh, sure. And, you know, in just four months, um, it made, uh, you know, a hundred thousand odd dollars of revenues. Uh, and then there was that freak storm I talked about earlier on with the transmission towers got flattened. The flattened. Yeah. It, so that's, I didn't, all I, that's all I took from that story is that something got flattened. I didn't just dream that. Yeah, I didn't just dream <laughs> that. One up. Uh, the virtual power plant in less than a fortnight earned over one million Australian dollars. Um, so this is you know, it's pretty significant, shared across a few hundred systems, you know. Yeah. And if you're thinking about, okay, in the long term, the more people have these solutions, 
the, obviously the less the value will be from these because that's how markets work. Um, but at the same time, there's a hell of a lot of scope until you get to that point for this sort of thing to be deployed. So, yeah, there's some really interesting things being done on the technology side to enable these batteries to kind of uh, actually, you know, both offer benefit to the homeowner um, and also to the network. So I've been talking to Autogrid, which is a US company um, sure. in March that make um, distributed energy aggregation platforms. And, you know, basically they told me that uh, there's a lot to do to, to what's called co-optimization. Um, you know, so that's meaning that the batteries are, they're optimal for self-consumption of solar energy, for backup at home, but then also for use as network services. So there's the, I think one thing that that like ties into me in, in terms of this optimization is that certainly from what we've seen on current, and this is particularly looking at the UK market, but I think this is seeing, this being seen elsewhere, is um, the role of then, if, we, if we're going to engage the, this number of consumers and, and optimise their offerings, then you're going to have a lot of investment, and we're already starting to see this, into the actual kind of back-end offering. So we've seen um, perhaps Kaluza, which is a um, kind of subsidiary of Ovo, which is a um, energy company which um, is, is quite well known throughout Europe now um, tailoring their kind of product suite to incorporate as much flexibility as possible from household demand so whether that's household batteries electric vehicles smart heating that kind of stuff um, and you're, you're starting to see this emergence now of different platforms different technologies I know um, this is perhaps more of a, a customer uh, relationship management tool, but um, Octopus, which is again another another utility in the UK, their kind of um, subsidiary Kraken Technologies has just um, announced a big deal with Eon, which is one of our most popular stories on current recently. So there is this huge kind of evolution of customer-led, um, if not suites, then definitely offerings where people are far more in tune and have a far more active role to play in the energy market than, than they once did. Which I guess then, Andy, seems um, probably about as good a note to end on as, as we probably find in this episode. Well, you know me, I could carry on talking pretty <laughs> much forever. And yes, you're right. Um, there are lots of other tangents. And I guess that's... Uh, as a roundabout way of saying, please do read our websites uh, on a day-to-day -day basis because there is so much exciting stuff coming out. And we promise that not all of it's going to be COVID-19, but obviously at the same time, um, we won't shirk the responsibility of reporting that relevant, up-to-date, what's going on in the real world news as and when we can bring it to you. Exactly. And I think, um, so, so just to echo what Andy said, Reading news sites, um, they are kind of um, our best way of uh, delivering kind of the, the daily news and updates to you. Um, subscribe to the newsletters um, and importantly, subscribe to the podcast. It's, it's, it's a great way for us to see um, how popular the, uh, the podcast is doing um, and really just a, a bit of an endorsement of, what, of the content that we're putting out. But apart from that, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening.